But with the believers multiplying rapidly, there were rumblings of discontent. Those who spoke only Greek complained that their widows were being discriminated against, that they were not being given as much food in the daily distribution as the widows who spoke Hebrew. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. We should spend our time preaching, not administering a feeding program, they said. Now look around among yourselves, dear brothers, and select seven men, wise and full of the Holy Spirit, who are well thought of by everyone, and we will put them in charge of this business. Then we can spend our time in prayer and in preaching and teaching. This sounded reasonable to the whole assembly, and they elected the following. Stephen, a man unusually full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas of Antioch, a Gentile convert to the Jewish faith who had become a Christian. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them and laid their hands on them in blessing. God's message was preached in ever-widening circles, and the number of disciples increased vastly in Jerusalem. Amen. May God bless to us an understanding of this, his word. We have been studying in our prayer meetings the wonderful and exciting book of Acts. Someone has said that the book of Acts might very well be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And indeed it might well be called just that. For after the Lord Jesus Christ body, the Holy Spirit is manifested in dramatic power on the day of Pentecost. And then we begin to see believers, believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit as they make known the message of the Christian gospel. Let me point out as emphatically as words can convey that no place have the rules for discipleship ever been suspended, altered, or changed. No church court can make it so. No body of people can make it so. No theologian, no collection of books can make it so. Our Lord Jesus Christ said very simply that there are two ways. He said one is a, a broad way that many people choose and that way leads to destruction. The other, he said, is a narrow way. It leads to eternal life and few there be that find it. Now, I've heard it said by one who is skillful in the scriptures and wise in the ways of the hearts of men that this is so. So that there is often a third way represented. That we say that the broad way is all of those people who never give God a thought and who go on their merry way to hell. And there is a hell. And people are going there. That there is a narrow way, straight and narrow and difficult. And that's the way that missionaries and deeply religious people and ministers of the gospel take, but that there is a third way, not too spiritual, not too worldly, but just right. This is what I make is my own way. Well, that's not the way. It's either or. We have no uh, extension from God of a proposition which we may negotiate. It's all and it must be given over to him, and it must be given to his lordship. And you see this nowhere more poignantly than in this book of the Acts of the Apostles. And you see it especially in the story of these two deacons, and I just have the briefest uh, time to tell you about them. The first of them is called Stephen. 
It's interesting that in the early church there were also problems that arose every time the work of the Holy Spirit manifests himself in great power. Satan is always there to, to raise up some ugly thing to start dissension and trouble. Many people think that Satan is just down at the whorehouses and the bars and the gambling joints. That's not so. He's here every Sunday. He never misses a Sunday. He makes it to church more regularly than all the deacons and the elders and everyone else, even the preacher. He's always at church. He's here because this is where the battle is. He is here because he wants to keep you from truly believing the gospel, because he wants to keep you from the comfort of the gospel, and because he wishes to frustrate the work of the Holy Spirit. He's always present. You can depend on that. But the Holy Spirit is always present too. And he is doing battle through the word of God. And so in the early church, we see such people as Ananias and Sapphira seeking to lie that they have done some great thing which they have not, and judgment begins at the house of God. You can read all about it in the fifth chapter of Acts. And then when we get into this portion of the sixth chapter, which I have just read in your hearing a moment ago, we begin to see how that among the body of believers as, it, as this body of believers increased and the word of God spread and more and more people were baptized and believed that Jesus is truly the Messiah, practical needs arose. The needs had to do with these people who might have been cut off from their employment because they have declared their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, and so they're cut off. So the believers had to pool their resources in order to uh, show Christian love toward one another. It was not communism in the Marxist sense of the word because that allows no freedom of choice. But this is a choice where believers voluntarily give of what they possess in order that they may bear one another's burdens and assist one another in their troubles. Now the 12 apostles that are here mentioned, the 12, these are witnesses to the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They are those who are proclaiming what God Almighty has done through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is necessary for them to communicate this message to others. But now they are being hampered through by uh, the necessity of looking after the material and physical needs of people uh, from the work of preaching and teaching the word of God and from the work of prayer. Prayer is a very hard work. The preaching of the word of God rightly is a very hard work. And so they are hampered in it and it becomes a burden to them and there is a dispute that arises in the church. There were some Jews who had been long exposed to the Greek language and culture and uh, because they uh, have this little Greek tendency to them, they are being discriminated against, according to them, from the Hebrews who are purist and, and strictly legal in their uh, outlook from the Hebrew standpoint. And so they bring their complaint to the apostles. And the apostles, so contrary from so much that is now propagated in the church, say that we, it is not right that we should leave the teaching of the word of God, which means salvation, in order to attend to this uh, business of the tables. That's important. But who wants to be the best fed, well-recreated body in hell? It's more important for the word to be preached. 
And the apostles put the priorities in the right place. So they said there are men here who would not have been witnesses to the bodily resurrection of Christ in his earthly ministry. Let's find men who are full of the Holy Spirit. Let's find men who are full of faith. Let's find men who have practical wisdom. Let's select seven of them and put them in charge of this business. Great day in the morning. How many church courts would be emptied? If we said that every person who serves on the diaconate or the session should be a person who is full of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Yielded to the Holy Spirit's control. Utterly yielded to it. That's what it means. We accept the scriptures according to the the book of church order, every deacon has to say, every elder has to say, I believe the scriptures are the, inf are the word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. What does the infallible rule of faith and practice say? Full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, full of wisdom. Now a man might have a little cup, but if it's full, it's full. And so there are varying degrees there, varying capacities. But these are laid down, and this is what we should be looking for. This is what we should be praying for. And so it is in the sixth chapter of Acts when these first seven are chosen. Now what about these men? Look at them. If you stop and thought for a moment, what could be more dreary than working over a budget, than fiddling with those little envelopes? I remember before God called me to preach, I used to think that preaching was about the dumbest thing that anyone could go into. I saw the minister always being browbeat by some old lady around the church. Or I, I, and I used to think, boy, he's a nice guy, but nuts. I, I, <laughs> I couldn't do that. I don't want to do something. I don't want to be a preacher. And that's exactly the opinion that a lot of young people used to have about it. But nowadays, the kids are fired up about Jesus, and they are revitalizing the church. The Holy Spirit is really at work. And we're seeing this all across the country. You can hear it in the way they sing. You can see it over there at prayer meeting on Wednesday night. You can hear it in the way they witness. And what they are doing is, is bringing back a rebuke to us, saying let's get on with it. Let's be more dedicated, more yielded to the Holy Spirit. Let's be more full of faith. Let's dare to attempt great things for God. A couple of years ago, someone called me one night and said, do you know what's going on right here in Montreat? And I said, no. And they said there are some people down here that are, that are washing each other's feet, some kids from the cottage. And I said, well, so what? A lot worse things than that have gone on in Montreat. I'm not worried about it. There's more Bible for that than a whole lot of other stuff. And we talked about that for a little while. I'm not going to keep anyone away from a fuller walk with Christ or a deeper walk with Jesus. I'm not afraid of that. I like it. You don't know where it's going to lead, but it'll lead you closer to God. That's where it'll eventually lead if it is disciplined according to the word of God. Now then, these seven were chosen, and let's look at two of them. Here is, here is Stephen. The word means crown. All of us know that Stephen is the first Christian martyr. We see in him a person of a beautiful character who witnessed with such power and such knowledge of the scriptures before the Jewish hierarchy that he encountered their wrath and they stoned him to death. And the scriptures tell us that when he died, that his face 
shone like the face of an angel. He was so close to the Lord Jesus Christ that when Stephen died, his last words were like his father, like his Lord's words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They were very much like that, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Forgive them. Lay not this sin to their charge. That's a Christ-like spirit when you learn to forgive in just that way. And that's Stephen. He made his office as deacon an office where he was a witness for the Lord Jesus and one who was full of the Holy Spirit in a faith. And if it had not been for St. Stephen, there would never have been a St. Paul. Paul was there and he saw Stephen stoned to death and he was Saul of Tarsus and he hated the Christians. But when he saw that dying man die, pleading for the forgiveness of the very enemies who had cruelly pelted him to death. Saul of Tarsus never got away from that. And one day on the road to Damascus, he met Stephen's master. And those two are friends in heaven today. And think of the world of good that was accomplished through that remarkable life. And then just briefly, that other deacon. That other deacon is a man by the name of Philip. And Philip, too, is mighty in the scriptures, and you read his story, and I hope you'll go home this afternoon and read the lesson from Acts chapter 8. Begin at verse 26 and read to the end of the chapter. You will read how this man, uh, Philip, had gone into Samaria, where there were people of another race who would have been hated by Jews. And yet he goes to these people of another race, so full of the love of God and of the Holy Spirit's fruit of love in his own life, and he preaches in Samaria. You know, that Jesus talked to. You remember that woman at the well of Sychar, that sinful woman who came out of the city of Samaria at high noon under the glaring noonday sun and met there and Jesus told her that he could give her water to drink of that would be like a well springing up within her and, and uh, which would satisfy all of her thirst. And do you know what that sinful woman that sinful woman believed Jesus. And she went back and brought the whole Samaritan village out. And Jesus stayed there for two days and, and taught. And I expect that when uh, Philip went into Samaria, that woman saw him and said, Sir, if you consider me worthy, then I want you to come. Come and hold a prayer meeting in our house. Come and teach us from the scriptures. And this man who was a deacon concerned with the mundane matters of finance was also skillful in the scriptures. And he taught, and a revival broke out in Samaria. And then obedient to the Holy Spirit, one day the Holy Spirit says to Philip, Philip, leave your big meeting here and go out into the desert. Go out into Gaza, to the desert country. Now then, who would leave a beautiful situation like this? A place where miracles were occurring and multitudes were coming to Jesus as Messiah? And yet the Holy Spirit bids him to go, and he is obedient to the Holy Spirit, and he leaves and he goes. Walking along on the desert road, he is obedient to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not always call us where it is comfortable and nice. We hear a voice that others may not hear, and he may bid us to go where other people cannot understand why we're going there, but we should be obedient. And Philip was obedient. And on that road, a great thing takes place. He sees in the shimmering sun 
a chariot, a retinue of horsemen, and he knows that some great person is passing. And the Spirit tells Philip, go and walk alongside that caravan. And Philip goes and he joins himself to that caravan and he walks along by the footmen and he gets up close to the chariot. And inside the chariot there is a man who is reading. And he is reading out loud as the custom of the Orientals would be. And of all things that he should be reading, he is reading the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. And when Philip hears those words, his heart is about to burst with joy. And he comes alongside the chariot. And in a gracious, charming, friendly, loving way, he says to him, Sire, Sire, do you understand what you're reading? Now this man is an Ethiopian, a black man. Further than that, he is a eunuch, an outcast. But he is also the treasure of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He has been to Jerusalem. Someone had witnessed to him about faith in the God of the Jews, and he had embraced that faith. He had been there on a journey of 1,200 miles, seeking a closer walk with God. How far would you go to really find God? This Ethiopian went a long way, and Jesus said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And he hungered and he thirsted after righteousness. And look how his heart is filled. After Philip hears him reading this, he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says to him, how can I except someone should teach me? And so Philip began with his same scripture. And then he used many others to tell him about Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to a small body of water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Why can't I be baptized? And then Philip answered, If you believe with all your heart, you can. And do you know what that eunuch said? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What a tremendous thing. He stopped his chariot, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, that is, led him away to another place. But look at this unit. He went on his way rejoicing. Isn't that wonderful? That's what happens when a person truly comes into a knowledge of Christ. Two deacons. One Stephen, who is responsible for Paul. And one a great missionary spirit to these people there. Now each one of us is to be a servant. That's all the word deacon means, is one who serves. And each one of us is to be like Jesus who said, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And each one of us should be humble enough in mind, not only to wash his brother's foot, but also to be willing to serve in the name of Jesus. And this remarkable thing takes place here, this living Bible. I was in Chicago the other day, and you ride the train from Chicago out to Wheaton, where the Tyndall Press is. I thought about the man who translated this, Kenneth Taylor. Stammering, nervous, working in Chicago, thinking that his life had all fallen to pieces, but faithful to God, faithful to his prayers, wanting his children to love Jesus, 
having a good knowledge of Hebrew and Greek, and beginning to write a paraphrase of the Bible so that his children wouldn't be bored when he read the Bible to them at table and at devotions. Had to ride the train 25 miles into Chicago, 25 miles back out. Instead of reading the latest magazines and newspapers, he busied himself by translating and putting together what he would use for his children's devotions. God blessed him. Ten million of them have been distributed. And one of the wonderful things, and I'm so happy Josie is now in our church, you know what this is? The pastoral and homiletical review of the Roman Catholic Church. You know what's on the back of it? An ad for the Living Bible, the same one right here. You know what it says? The Living Bible paraphrased a refreshing translation, the world's most readable Bible. You wouldn't have seen this a few years ago. But you see, the Spirit of God is at work. He's at work not only in Roman Catholics, he's even at work in Presbyterians. <laughs> and he is working in us to make us alive to the Holy Spirit and alive to the Lordship of Jesus. And when we yield our lives to him, think of the joy that he brings to our minds and hearts. And the joy never stops. It keeps on going to others. How do you become full of the Holy Spirit? You know, Jesus said that if your earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Just ask him. And then yield to him. Go ahead, let it happen. And follow him. Do what he bids you to do. Don't people enough to witness to them. Tom Cummings, who stood here last Sunday. Tom's millions. Tom's Learjet. Tom's great sign company, none of that impresses me as much as his faith in Jesus Christ. He did something that I wonder if any person here would really do. You know what he did the week that he came here? The week that he came here to Montreat to speak last Sunday morning, we talked when I picked him up at the airport. He said, I've got an artist who works for our company, and he said, I've tried to talk with him about Jesus Christ, and last week, his wife had a heart attack. They took her to the hospital. She had three subsequent heart attacks. He said, I've known them well. They've worked for us for years. He said, she is not a believer. And he said, I couldn't get her off my mind. I, I couldn't get her off my mind. And I thought, I'm not a preacher. I can't go to the hospital and talk to her about Jesus Christ. And then I thought, what if in that open heart surgery she actually died? And I, who have been her friend and have talked to her for years and yet who have never really mentioned to her Jesus Christ, what's God going to say to me when I see him? And he said, boy, you talk about something that took guts. He said, I prayed to God and I couldn't get it off my mind and I took one of those campus crusades, little spiritual, four spiritual laws, and he said, I prayed and I got over the hospital and I nearly backed out and I went on in the room he said, I called her by name. I told her we'd been friends for years. We'd talked about a lot of things. But I said, I want to talk to you about something now that I should have spoken to you about a long time ago. He said, I want to talk to you about Jesus. And I want to ask you whether you're willing to trust in him as your Savior. Would you be willing to do that? Every one of us 
whether we're elders, deacons, preachers, members, the body of Christ should be communicators to others of faith in Jesus Christ. Let us stand in prayer. <clears throat> oh God, our Father, there may be some person here today who has never yielded his or her life to the Lordship of Christ. I don't know, you know. But I pray, God, that you will help that person to know that Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Just help them right now to say a simple yes to Jesus. Just to say, Jesus, I want you in my heart, and I want to give myself to you. And help them to know that from this day forward they may grow in the Christian faith. Help them to consult with another friend who knows Jesus and help them to come to that faith in him too. We thank you for what you're doing on our campus and in our church and in our community. And we pray you, Father, to keep this blessing going and help us to be faithful to that message that we, like these in the early church, so possessed by that same Holy Spirit, may see the word of God spread and more and more become believers and full of joy in Christ. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our keeper and our guide be and abide with you all now and forevermore.